Within just a few years, we will spend more on interest payments than we will on national defense. That is a bright flashing warning sign that we are on an unsustainable path. And clearly it is unsustainable because the fastest growing part of our budget is interest payments. And when you have a debt that's growing faster than your economy, obviously something will have to give. To hear more about potential impacts of our increasing federal debt level, subscribe to PGIM's The Outthinking Investor in your favorite podcast app. Pushkin. The social media giant Meta, maybe you've heard of it, recently announced for the first time in its corporate history a dividend, a little payment to shareholders. And even though it was small, it riled imaginations on Wall Street and got people thinking about what does it mean that a massive tech company, which was supposed to be in a growth phase, is now doing something more characteristic of bigger, older companies? Today on the show, we ask, are dividends back? This is on Hedge, the markets and finance show from the Financial Times and Pushkin. I'm reporter Ethan Wu here in New York, joined from London by markets columnist Katie Martin, who has recently been holed up reading books about the history of dividends. Well, yeah, but at least I'm not holed up in the snow like you are, trapped in your home. <laughs> I've made peace with the fact that, you know, today in New York, there's a snowstorm. I'm not going outside. Who, who needs to do that? Yeah. Inside for me. Okay. All day. Okay. I respect that. But I don't think I'm going to be nearly as productive today as you have been recently, Katie, pouring through tomes on the history of dividends, financial markets. I mean, what exciting stuff. <laughs> this is how I roll, Ethan. I'm a very cool person. <laughs> but yeah, I was reading a book about dividends, the decline and fall of dividends and, and how and whether they might come back by a chap called Daniel Paris, who's an investor at Federated Hermes. His book is called The Ownership Dividend. That might sound like a slightly dry topic, but it's actually quite good fun. And I would, anyway, there I was, you know, thinking about dividends. And what do you know? Meta pops up and says, okay, shareholders, we're going to pay you 50 cents a share per quarter in our very first dividend. Now, do not spend this all in the one shop, Meta shareholders. This <laughs> is not a large amount of money. This is going to equate to a dividend yield of a mighty 0.42% a year. So, the amounts of money that we're talking about here for most shareholders are like fairly trivial, but the signal that this sends from a big whiz bang, look at us, we do exciting things in the metaverse company like Meta, is actually pretty substantial. Yeah, so it's weird that we're even talking about this, right? I mean, for the longest time, I mean, long before I was born, but uh, I, I have heard that even before I was born, was just an expectation <laughs> before you were born, <laughs> before any of us were born. It was just an expectation in markets that if you're a big profitable company, you're going to pay a dividend, right? And stocks are, as you learn in the first year of an MBA, the discounted sum of your future cash flows and dividends just represent those cash flows going from the company back to investors. But that kind of simple first year MBA model, that hasn't really quite been the trend recently, has it, Katie? No, I mean, dividends have had a bit of a bad time um, over the past couple of decades. Like, If you cast your mind back to even before ancient people such as myself were born to like 100 years ago, the whole deal was you had a relationship between a company that listed on a stock market and its shareholders. And the solid expectation was that unless a company ran into some sort of serious difficulty, then it would stick to its commitments to pay a dividend to shareholders. And dividends were much more generous back in the day. So if you go back kind of 80 or 100 years or something, then 
shareholders could reasonably expect to get a dividend yield of the S&P 500 or something equivalent to it of like 6%, 5%. You know, this was a meaningful amount of money that, that yeah. companies would pay you in the form of a dividend. And you could do two things with that. You could either take the cash, thanks very much, that's a bit of money, I'm going to, you know, spend it on whatever I want. Or you could like plow it back into the market, just keep on buying more shares. And so if you add that component into a stock market, it actually makes a really meaningful difference to how much actual money investors make out of it. Because although like dividend yields in the US have collapsed from something like 5 6% to under kind of 2% for most of the past couple of decades, other markets actually are much more dividend friendly. So Italy, for example, the dividend yield is more like 4%. And so there there are yeah. big like cultural differences here in terms of this relationship between companies and their shareholders, which I sort of think is interesting in and of itself. But the point is, dividends have been in this kind of long march towards death in the States where they've just shrunk massively, particularly over the past couple of decades. There's a, a, a million different reasons for that. But this move by Meta suggests that maybe some of this might be coming back. Maybe they're back. That's at least the question anyway. And just to under- underscore your point about how important dividends have been to returns in US stocks, I-, I took a look just yesterday in the Unhedged newsletter at the past century, right, using this great S&P database. And their numbers show that in the past century, since 1926, mm. if you were a buy and hold investor of the S&P 500, fully 38% of your total return came from just collecting those dividends and plowing them right back mm-hmm. into stocks. And, you know, it, it's it's because of the same reason that any investments go up, you know, compounding over time, right? You, you're, you're buying at a low price, the prices tend to go up, and you get that compounding effect over a long time horizon. But that 38% number has not really been the case, especially in the last decade. The more recent numbers, so I looked at 2013 to 2022, mm-hmm. dividend reinvestments have fallen from 38% of total returns to just 17% of total returns. So uh, just a much less significant portion of what a buy and hold investor makes holding U.S. stocks these yeah, days. Yeah, and so, you know, particularly kind of high growth U.S. companies, of which, you know, you can definitely put Meta into that kind of basket. The relationship that they have had with shareholders over the past couple of decades has been different. It has not been, okay, we're going to spend the money that we need to spend on on growth and on paying the bills and all the rest of it. And anything that's left over is for all of the shareholders to divide up and receive as a dividend. It's been hello, I'm a big fast growing company, buy my shares, and I'm going to make damn sure they go up. <laughs> and and that's just different. That is a different kind of mindset for investors to be in. It is um, the idea that either I'm making a winning bet, this is a company that's going to grow fast, and I'm going to be part of it, or I'm going to buy shares in this company, and I'm going to find a bigger idiot to buy them off me a- a- another day in the future. And that's how I'm going to make my money off it. And so to the mind of people like Daniel Paris, who wrote The Ownership Dividend, that's like a casino. That's like not terribly different to just buying crypto or buying gold or just buying any other non-yielding asset. It's all just reliant on the greater fool theory. This reintroduction of dividends that we're seeing, and, and, you know, again, Meta's dividends are small and much, much smaller than their buybacks. But it does just say, okay, we want to have a different type of relationship with our shareholders. It's a long-term relationship. And I'm going to give you this signal that come hell or high water, I'm going to pay you X amount of money every quarter. Yeah. It is odd. I think we have to say that 
you know, the story of Meta is being told as a coming of age story when this is a company that is still growing revenue in the past year at 17% year over year, operating profits at 46% year over mm. year. I mean, that does not seem to me like a staid, mature company that's just, you know, uh, uh, trying to reward the long-term faithful in its, in its uh, you know, corporate story. This is still kind of a growth company. It's just pivoted toward being a little bit more shareholder friendly. And I mean, you definitely can't divorce that from the stuff that's been happening to Meta specifically, right? Uh, it had this period where the stock was down as much as 70% at some point because investors hated, hated, hated what Zuckerberg was doing with the metaverse. They thought he was pivoting away from the company's core competencies, you know, burning all this money uh, on this, you know, faraway project that may or may not pan out. And in the past year or so, he's had this so-called year of efficiency, and he, mm. he's he's tried to kind of steer the ship to be a little bit more shareholder friendly. And this dividend component is just sort of part of that story. But it does raise the question, Katie, if a company still is you know, fast growing and, and new as Meta is moving toward dividends, and we are in an era of, of higher rates, so reversing one of the factors that helped push dividends down yeah. in the past you know, several decades... Is there possibly a new regime for dividends starting to to take hold? And you know, you're seeing these predictions, or you know, even these proclamations in the financial press. There's a piece in the Economist just last week saying very confidently, dividends are back. Yeah, they're so hot right now. I mean, a couple of points on that. One is that one of the reasons why dividend-focused investors that I speak to are kind of so cheered by this news from Meta is that it kind of really illustrates that this idea that the world divides into dividend-paying stocks or exciting, fast-growing stocks is rubbish. You you can be both. So that's why they're kind of so so happy to see this, is that you know it might be that there are other fast-growing US companies that are listed that also take the same sort of step. But the other is that one of the things that, you know, in the past when companies routinely paid large dividends, the big signal was not paying it or cutting it. It's like yeah. a way of effectively telling the market, lads, we're in a bit of trouble here. Like either COVID has hit, you know, which is a perfectly reasonable reason to can your dividend, or we've done something kind of strategically wrong and something has gone wrong and we're very sorry, but we can't pay you a dividend. So there was a period in, in the past where it was a red flag and dividends were a good kind of disciplining measure on the market. And the hope for people who love their dividends is that this era is going to come back and they're going to just see a bit more common sense injected back into yeah. which companies do well on stock markets and which companies don't. And it's not just all about vibes. Well, Katie, the vibes in the past you know, decade or so have been a lot less about steadiness and a lot more about we to the moon. And you know, alongside that, there's been sort of a displacing effect where dividends have given way to a newer way of returning cash to shareholders through uh, share buybacks, yeah. right? And these, unlike dividends where you have to pay it every year or the cultural expectation is, what the heck, guys, what's going on? Why did you cut the dividend? Buybacks are a much more flexible way for companies to give cash back to shareholders. They're not penalized, really, for doing a buyback one quarter and then not doing it the next quarter. It's, it's, it's purely discretionary, and you can just do an offering at the market price and buy back the shares, retire them. It's 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 pretty straightforward and investors have come to expect it. You combine that with the, uh, you know, in some ways, preferential tax treatment mm. of share buybacks where investors can kind of opt into it, right? If they want to have the tax liability in that year or not, whereas dividends are taxed whenever you receive them. Between those two things, I mean, you can tell, you know, a, a decent story about why dividends have fallen off and why the sort of steady payments that investors of a generation ago were used to 
have you know fallen so far. Yeah. So we should return to the question we started the whole show with, Katie, which is, are dividends back? I mean, I think you've made the case that there's at least a, a foundation for mm. it. And I, I mentioned that economist piece, and, and there are others in uh, the Wall Street world talking about this trend. I had a look at the data in yesterday's Unhedged newsletter. And to me, it seems like, yeah, again, maybe they're starting to come back. But the answer is really no, they're not back yet. And, and just to put some numbers on that, right? Uh, after the 2008 financial crisis, uh, S&P 500 dividends took a big step down. Uh, they have not recovered to the 2000s uh, trend yet. Mm. Dividend growth in the past year was about 5 to 6%, contrasting that to the 10% dividend growth we got in 2022. So dividend growth has actually been slowing a little bit. And you know Howard Silverblatt, who's a great dividend analyst at S&P, made the point to me that it kind of just reflects general corporate caution, right? We were talking yeah. about recession for sure, 100% six months ago, and now it's soft landing woohoo, but what's it going to be in six months? And again, because of that expectation that dividends are not just now, but forever, <laughs> uh, companies don't feel as liberated in an uncertain economic outlook to just go and inaugurate those dividends. They want to be a little bit more cautious about it for now and wait till the picture gets a little bit clearer before starting to commit to that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, but I slightly take the other side of that and and say, you know, if you are a company that is super confident that you've got this and you can weather any kind of economic yeah. weather, then this is a really good way of making that message loud and clear to your shareholders. So, you know, I, I don't think Meta's uh, initiation of a dividend necessarily changes the world, but I do think that it sends a pretty big signal that you know, if if you're a rival company that's competing for, you know, investment dollars, then it's like, well, why aren't you doing this? You know, so it, it just raises that question. And I think we might come and look back on this moment in a few years time and say that this was when it all started to change. Yeah. I mean, it sounds very much like the way of the future is just the way of the past. Back to the future, man. It's like the old school is the good school. All right, Katie, we'll be back in just a moment with Long Short. Liquid alternatives can offer some substantial diversifying returns, not only in a 2022 world where traditional asset classes are challenged, but also during a world where you have only a few asset classes delivering on their expected returns. And therefore, you need some genuine diversification within your portfolio. To hear more about managing risk in the face of uncertainty, subscribe to PGIM's The Outthinking Investor in your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. This is Long Short, that part of the show where we go long a thing we love, short a thing we hate. Katie, I am short micro trends. Okay. Mm. This is a phenomenon predominantly on TikTok, but also other forms of social media where people make up like fake BS trends as a way of like engagement farming. And lest you think I'm just talking about something I saw online, this was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal this weekend, the micro trend called Orange Peel Theory where if you want to see if your partner really loves you, you ask them to peel an orange for you. And if they don't, then they must not really love what? you. And these type of mini social media phenomenon that are truly, truly, truly just constructed to piss you off and make you argue about whether this is really a thing or not, have taken the world by storm and I'm against them. They suck. I'm strongly I'm against that. But now I'm hoping that... <laughs> so I saw something about a new fashion trend on social media the, the other day. Apparently, the new look that is in is the frazzled English woman look. 
And I am <laughs> nailing this look and I want it to be a real thing. If you if you come back and tell me this is a silly micro trend, I'll be really upset. <laughs> so look, I, I will be long two things. I will be long of the uh, frazzled English woman look, nailing it. Um, and I'm also... <laughs> Limit long the story in uh, New York Magazine about Bill Ackman, which if you haven't seen it online, oh god, do yourself a it's big so favor and read it. It is proper funny. No notes. It's I, so funny. It is so unintentionally <laughs> funny. Bits that kind of stick out at me is that Bill Ackman, you know, big kind of hedge fund guy who kind of led the ouster, as you Americans like to say, of Claudine Gay from Harvard University. He said, and he's leapt the defense of his wife, who has been accused of plagiarism on some of her academic work. And he says that he's causing strife in marriages across America because <laughs> he's hearing of some husbands who email their wife, question mark, to say, honey, I did the dishes. And the wives come back to them and say, big effing deal. Did you see what Bill Ackman's doing for his wife? He also reveals in the, in this piece that he did the quiz on FT Alphaville, which is a yes. big Bill Ackman or American Psycho, like all these kind of little quotes where you have to select which one it is. And he says, I got a perfect score. <laughs> Kudos, Bill. Well done. I just, well done. I could not love this story more. It's just hilarious that he did a quiz about himself and is now congratulating himself for getting all the questions <laughs> right. <laughs> love it. Please read that the magazine story if you hadn't, listeners. You will get a kick out of it. All right, Katie, thanks for being here. We'll have you back soon. And listeners, we're back in your feed on Thursday with another episode of Unhedged. Catch you then. Unhedged is produced by Jake Harper and edited by Bryant Erstadt. Our executive producer is Jacob Goldstein. We had additional help from Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. Special thanks to Laura Clark, Alistair Mackey, Greta Cohn, and Natalie Sadler. FT Premium subscribers can get the Unhedged newsletter for free. A 30-day free trial is available to everyone else. Just go to ft.com slash unhedged offer. I'm Ethan Wu. Thanks for listening.